Good morning, everybody. Sorry for no podcast yesterday, but today let's get down to business. And I want to welcome all the new people who joined the monthly or annual um, Macros app subscriptions. Welcome on board. And to everybody nearly coming to the end of Octagon 2, we're three weeks away from finishing, and the end of Challenge event is coming up, which is I went to pump for. I got some stuff in today from it. So I'm excited to give it all to you. But yeah, we've got three weeks till our challenges finishes. People are just on their new journey with the macros app and this lifestyle change, mindset change. So what I'm going to talk today about is two really important studies um, and some insights for you guys. Because I saw a comment in one of the groups saying, um, I understand that we aren't looking to lose weight right now and that fat loss and weight loss aren't the same. But should have I lost weight by now? <laughs> it's like that but means that you the whatever you said beforehand hasn't clicked yet and how i see it is very clear it's like if i said if you were after a thousand pounds and i said look i want you to do this and i'm going to give you a thousand pounds right and you'd be you'd be quite you know some simple task like you know run down and back and i'll give you a thousand pound cash here's the cash you're like yeah you know you're motivated to do it you believe it and then before i say actually i go you know actually hang on uh this cash is fake i just printed it off earlier that's it. You're not going to do anything for it. It's fake. It's done. It's gone. There's no more thinking, ooh, should I do it? It could be real. And that's what I think a lot of people are still out. And it, it, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's instant. But when you see the falseness of going after lots of weight loss to start with and understanding that's not fat loss and that that is the entire game, these like extreme diets go on. They know if you go low carb, low calorie in the first three weeks, you lose a lot of water weight and then you get motivated and you think it's fat loss. And then actually you realize once the fat loss has come off and there's no fat, come, there's, uh, once the weight loss, water weight's come off and fat loss, then you just have no clear what to do next. Then they drop off, you know. They prey on the fact that the first three weeks you go, low carb and you know drop all our water weight and i'm trying to tell you the falseness of it can you see the falseness of that approach and if you can there is no but should have i lost weight by now but this but that there is simply that i understand we're going to be losing fat at a consistent rate every week if i'm going to be hitting my macros coming within my calorie target you know get my steps in that's just a fact you know fat loss of one pound a week is typically where it's at the studies on it and it's quite quite accurate to be fair um you know it might not be exactly one pound of fat might be a bit less sometimes it might be a bit more and as you lose weight your deficit might get smaller but luckily we've got a very smart app out there that's going to automatically change your macros over time so you're always maintaining that deficit of about 500 calories you know a lot of people will de deficit deficit stay the same calories and macros and then after like eight weeks you know weight loss or fat loss comes to a, a stop and they're like well, what do i do now it's like well you haven't really understood that as you get lighter your maintenance is dropping and your exercise you're we're not going to ask you to do more 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 more, more exercise because it's not sustainable so you know, your maintenance, your deficit gets smaller. So we have to be proactive in this approach and, you know, make sure that it's a steady process, small, small minor changes over time that you don't really notice. And that's what happens. So that was just a side side note because I think it's important um, that we see the falseness of the dieting industry and we forget about it now. It's like fake money. It's like once you know it's fake money, you don't want to touch it because it's pointless. It's not worth anything. Same with this thing. Does that make sense? Anyway... One of the top of research is a very interesting research actually, and it says, and it's about do attitudes about thinness matter? Okay, and let's define this thinness or drive for thinness. So, this is measured clinically. Drive for thinness 
is correlated with dieting behaviours and highly correlated with body dissatisfaction. However, high drive for thinness is different for wanting to get in shape. Um, It's wanting to be thin, not necessarily healthy. It's so important that they're having lots of negative feelings about it. Um, They think about it all the time, every single day. They're probably restricting everything, eating some bits of food, not feeling great about their body. are they likely to have a higher BMI in the study? And basically, this drive for thinness over health, fat loss tablets, extreme cardio, yo-yo dieting, this is all associated with it, right? So that's what we mean by drive for thinness. So they looked at this research, right? And they, the very, so ironically, those very eating behaviors can make it harder to meet the thin ideal in terms of like the yo-yo dieting and stuff that comes around with a high drive for being thin. Um, this isn't speculation either. This is published in a new study in uh, Obesity Journal. Um, the researchers wanted to know, does valuing thinness as an adolescent make a difference when we become adults? Turns out, yes, it does. Okay. So the paper looked at a group of women who'd been studied from the ages of 9 to 19, starting in 1987. By the time the study rolled around, they were women aged 37 to 43 years old. The researchers took info like the women's drive for thinness, which I just defined, BMI and eating habits across their adolescence and adulthood, and looked for correlations. In particular, they looked at the relationship between their drive for thinness and reward-based eating drive. In other words, they wanted to find out if a strong desire to be thin made the women more or less likely to struggle with compulsive eating. Here's a key, here are the key findings from the study. Higher drive for thinness was associated with higher BMI. Participants with high drive for thinness as adolescents were more likely to have it as an adult. Cumulative drive for thinness, both in adolescent and adult, was associated with higher rates of reward-based eating drive. The researchers say that drive for thinness in adolescence is an indicator that a person will probably struggle with preoccupation with food, feeling unsatisfied and feeling out of control. And based on these findings, they'll probably continue feeling that way as an adult. Okay, so this is vital and we've kind of been teaching it, you know, your attitude towards the fat loss and this entire health thing plays a huge role. You know, the more you try and... um, like the more you try and get thin or lose weight the more it would elude you um and i think like let me just get a quote from victor frankl again and he says this right victor frankl man search for meaning escaped auschwitz psychotherapist all this stuff uh he says and his quote always stays with me for success like happiness cannot be pursued it must ensue and it only does so at the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself was the byproduct of the person's actions happiness must happen and the same holds for success you have to let it happen by not caring about it and like kind of it's it's the same here like you have to let go of wanting to lose so much fat so fast you have to let go of this perfect aesthetic look you're all chasing you have to let go of all of that and focus on the day-to-day healthy habits that the byproduct of that is that you are this person who is leaner and stronger and happier and more fulfilled it is a side effect it's a byproduct of someone that focuses day-to-day 
on the one day at a time philosophy. So the attitude you have towards losing weight and stuff, it has to start with seeing the falseness. You know, the first ever podcast on the 14-day masterclass and all of these challenges we do is the, your, the risks of your diet and how it's, you know, in my opinion, just as bad as smoking, if not worse in a sense. You know, can you see how dangerous it is? You're not gonna walk into fire. Like, would you walk into a fire? You know, is that an extreme example? I don't know. I wouldn't walk into a fire, just to let you know. But, like, is that what yo-yo diet's in? Like, you know, potentially it is. You know, can we see that? And how attitudes towards being thin. Like, do you want to be thin over health? And, like, being thin doesn't make you happy. So, you know, what's the point? Going down that route. The route we go down is slow and steady. And we improve one day at a time. We get stronger. We get fitter. We get free from food prison. And we free this energy and we focus on other parts of our life. Right? And then the byproduct is the result you want. Paradoxically, that's how it works. Um, again, like childhood experiences make an impact here. Of course, we've heard a lot of these things before about how being in your teens and stuff and your upbringing can really shape how you are as an adult. And it doesn't mean it has to 100% shape you, but it might be worth, you know, looking back and being like, you know, Let's have a look at what forces are on me right now. What conditioning am I under to believe in these things? And sometimes we think it's just how we are, so that's how we think. And, you know, changing our beliefs and stuff, beliefs and stuff, you know, for most people, it doesn't happen overnight. It can happen in a short space of time, I think, when you see the falseness of it. Um, but when we look at total health, when we look at total health in the long run, right, it's important to look at these studies that have looked, you know, that's a long, that's a lot... 1987 guys that's a long long study you know um and i think it's important that we take this into consideration now the second study i want to mention is um but before that, actually i mentioned earlier reward-based eat and drive let me just um define it so reward-based eat and drive is a phenomenon measured by feeling one cannot stop overeating eating rapidly or mindlessly without perceiving fullness or satiation and excessive thoughts of food and eating so you know, there was a relationship between that type of behavior and the desire to be thin, or the drive for thinness over health, okay? Another second research is, I don't know if any of you have come across the studies on The Biggest Loser, which is that show in America, they lose loads of weight over time, and then they looked at studies, and like the, the most of them gained it back, and you know, whatever. There's an update on this study, um, and you know, it's interesting. So they looked at their starting weight, they looked at their week at the end of the 30-day competition, which they, you know, they massively increased their exercise, control their nutrition, right? So their weight before the competition, on average, 148.9 kgs. Their weight at the end of the 30 weeks was uh, 90.6 kgs, you know? That's a big drop. Um, and then their weight six years after, it was 131 kgs. So they went from 148 down to 90, back up to 131 on average. Their body fat percentage was 49.3, dropped down to 28, then went back up to 44.7, six years after this competition, the biggest loser. Their predicted um, resting metabolic rate, or BMR, right? Actual resting metabolic rate. So their predicted was 2,577 calories. That was predicted before the competition. The actual was 2,607. So very, very, very close. And that's what I'm saying with the calculation we have as well is always updated for our data. So the initial macros you get pretty bang on in a sense. Sometimes if it's not, the tweaks are made. Um, their predicted 
um, resting metabolic rate at the end of the 30-week competition was to be 2,272, but their actual was 1,996, right? Six years after their predicted resting metabolic rate. So resting metabolic rate is based on age, gender, weight, lean body mass. Okay, that's all that stuff. So it doesn't... Survival calories, essentially. So the predicted resting metabolic rate six years after was 2,403 calories a day based off their weight and stuff, yeah? But their actual was 1,903. So the metabolic adaption happens here. So before the competition, they were just 29 calories off a day in terms of their predicted versus actual. At the end of the 30 weeks... The difference was 275 calories. They predicted 2,200, but it was actually 1,900. So as they were losing weight, you know, they thought their predicted RMI would be a bit higher, but it would drop down. And then, you know, even six years later, they thought it would go up a bit due to the weight going up, but actually it kind of went down. So, and there was a 500 calorie difference between the predicted model versus the actual. And this is based off what we, what they term now as, um, metabolic adaption so metabolic adaption basically the, when you lose weight over time your body doesn't want to lose weight it doesn't want to gain weight doesn't lose weight. it's a stay in balance okay but because we are living you know like i've mentioned in the yo-yo diet and stuff when you go extreme lose loads of weight gain loads of weight um you lose you're in the deficit for ages and ages and ages or you go really really high exercise really burn a lot of calories um, you know, these things are going to go haywire, basically, you know, and I think the you know, the 21% difference in the calculation versus expected is due to metabolic adaption. So what they're trying to, what they were looking at is like, why does this actually happen? Why does it happen? And they looked at something called energy compensation and Dr. P actually touched on this in the, in one of the Q and A's and I spoke about it as well. This is another fact why you shouldn't think just because you're exercising more, you're going to burn more calories. Basically, they looked at the biggest loser competition. They maintained their activity after it finished, the show finished. But their activity, they were burning 1,200 calories a day from exercise. So, like, they were doing a huge amount of exercise, huge amount of activity, you know, compared to what they were doing before. And that's too much movement, basically. It's too much movement. And when you do too much movement, right, and, you know, you're not quite in a deficit sometimes, maybe you're a maintenance... Your body's more stressed. Your your the other parts like hormones go down. So looking at the research here, reproductive. Uh, let's have a look. So irregular, painful, missing periods. Sperm count goes down. Libido goes down. We've seen all this. We've seen it in natural bodybuilders. Their their, their testosterone levels go drop down seventy five percent after sixteen weeks of going on a, in a deficit. You combine that with high levels of activity such as exercising for one to two hours a day. And you've got the perfect environment for the body to be a completely different zone than it was before. So we shouldn't look to do extreme uh, movement and exercise. Like I've mentioned this, Dr. P was saying, if you do a lot of exercise, your body will compensate for that throughout the day, reduce the energy burned from your base metabolic rate. It will reduce your non-exercise activity thermogenesis so basically you'll say you won't even notice it but you will sit down more you won't fidget as much you won't be as alert you won't move as much and overall your total calories burned will be less does that make sense 
so the body's adapted. So we want to be in the we want to be in the middle zone. We're training just about right. You know, we're doing three, four workouts a week. You know, focusing ideally on strength, getting a few different types of workouts in. We're getting a decent amount of we're getting a decent amount of uh, steps in. You know, six, ten thousand steps a day. You can go up more, obviously, if you're used to it. But you know, don't go extreme. And then the other side is I mentioned it before in the first ever seminar on you know the octagon and on uh, the fourteen day masterclass was. If we don't move enough, so if we're very sedentary and we don't move enough, right, our appetite regulation system doesn't work properly. So we actually become hungrier, right, than we need. And that's why a lot of people start office work and stuff. They gain a lot of weight to start with because they're sitting down eight to 10 hours a day. You're always feeling hungry. You're always looking to snack. You're eating way too many calories for your body needs. You're putting weight on because it doesn't make sense. The body doesn't want to put weight on, it doesn't want to lose weight. So why is it doing that adaption? The reason that happens is because it's not actually working properly because you're not moving as much as our ancestors used to move. You know, 96% of human existence has been as hunter-gatherers. We've just been on the, we've been on the move, on the walk, moving about, picking up berries, you know, hopefully pears, love a pear, you know, walking about. And we've gone the extreme side where we don't move at all. So there's, there's the extreme size on both. There's where you don't actually move at all and you might do two or three workouts a week, which doesn't mean you're active. Then is where you're doing way too much activity. You might be doing 20,000 steps a day, six, seven workouts a week. That's too much. And yet the metabolic adaption on you know either side is not good. So the adaption on the, the, the sedentary side is that you get way too hungry and you eat too many calories for you need. And on the other side, because you're doing way too much, your body actually burns less calories overall from the base function, 60%, 50-60% of your calories burned per day is your base metabolic rate, is those functions the body does, then it's non-exercise activity second, so your body drops those two, because you're doing way too much, and therefore you burn less calories. And this study showed, six years later, even though they were training just as much, keeping activity levels higher, and the weight piled on, 500 calorie difference between what they expected them to burn and what they actually burned due to metabolic adaption. Um, this doesn't mean starvation mode is a thing in terms of, like people confuse this, they say, well, does that mean a starvation mode and you gain weight? Like, if you're in a deficit, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna lose fat, you're gonna turn into, you're gonna, your muscle wastage, you're gonna lose muscle and you're gonna turn into an absolute, nothing to you look at you know you, you clearly see these photos of people in africa and stuff like that like there's nothing to them skin and bones people say it's starvation mode you know there's there's adaptions that happen but that doesn't override that you know even though they've they're burning 500 calories less than expected if they're still in a deficit they will lose fat right it just means it's going to be a bit harder for them now because the maintenance has dropped and you say well is it dropped forever no because we've seen in countless studies once exercise levels come back down to like the mid-tier good amount and the calories and the carbs go back up and stuff like that you see these processes you see the hormones rebalance you see all these magnificent stuff happen like the bodybuilder study 16 weeks 75 percent drop in testosterone as soon as they went and back up to eating more carbs more calories and brought their training levels way down to just normal levels they just rebounded straight away um so that's another idea. That's just another thing for you guys. So don't, don't do too much and don't do too little. <laughs> oh, does it always come back to moderation, guys? Does it always come back to the ancient advice of moderation? I don't know. What are they telling us two thousand, two three thousand years ago that we still don't listen? You know, we need to listen. 
we need to listen to this. So whatever you're doing, if you're following the turtle method, which is the moderate approach, again, more research to back up that this method is the best method. If you're looking to optimize your health, your happiness, your overall basically approach to life. So hopefully this was useful. Um, I'm, I will get, if anyone wants the links to all the studies, then let me know. They usually come out in a Instagram post on the turtle Instagram. Um, after I speak about them so we can we make it a bit more uh, plain English and yeah you can read it on there but guys let's bring it back now down to today what's your one big thing today get that done if you haven't tracked and the weekend's gone just get back to it now as soon as this voice note ends you go and track your breakfast you know if you've been tracking and you feel a bit lethargic get that walk in the weather is built this week and more steps you're going to get in if you've been low steps you're going to feel more energy 100% and if you haven't done a workout in ages, just get a workout done today as a priority. Um, and if it's work stuff, get the work stuff done, you know? Just do something that's going to de-stress you the most and it's going to give you motivation to do the rest of the stuff. So this voice note's coming to an end. Get your one big thing done. Have a good day and I'll see you on the radio. <laughs>